0: Alright, welcome to the free stretch here on JoeBucksFan.com. I am Bobby Fenton. Week 7 edition of the show as the Bucks are set to host the Falcons at 1 o'clock on Sunday. And we've got everything you need coverage-wise right here on the free stretch and right here at Joe BucksFan. So thank you for joining us. I'm excited. Even coming off of a tough loss to the Lions, maybe there's a little extra pep in my step this morning watching the Saints lose on Thursday night football last night. That is always a pleasure. And you know it's sitting right there in front of the bucks right now even though everyone's a little down coming off of a loss where they didn't look very good especially the offense but yet they beat the falcons on sunday and they're going to have a two game lead in the loss column over the rest of the division head to head wins already over the saints on the road mind you and over the falcons And just in general, will be in very good shape if they can play. I don't ever want to shoot low. I mean, you want to win every game you can. But if you get these division wins, and you end up 9-8 and or something like that, you're going to win the division. Like, you're going to win the division. And I'm not going to ever pencil anything in, because any game can be won or lost. But you're in really good shape. You're in really good shape looking ahead if you can win games like Sundays. And it's kind of the same thing going into that two-game stretch the Bucs had a couple of weeks ago with the Eagles game on Monday night, and then following that, the road game in New Orleans. And everybody gets pumped up. That Monday night football game against a top opponent, defending NFC champion, you know, feels really big. And it was. You want to win those games. But yet, out of those two games, winning the Saints one was far more important. Same thing here. That Lions game on Sunday, Top team in the NFC. It was throwback Sunday, so the Bucks are wearing the orange uniforms. Everybody's all fired up. And yet, if you told me they could only win one of the two, and of course you want to win everything, but if they can only win one of the two, this one against Atlanta, which doesn't feel as big. There's plenty of tickets available. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But that's the one that's more important. Like, you win this one on Sunday, you are right on track for what you want to do. If what you want to do is win the division which is always the first step toward anything. Because remember, I mean, I don't think anybody looks at the Bucks right now and feels like they're looking at a Super Bowl contender. And at the end of the day, that's all we ever want, right, is to win the Super Bowl. But just to be in it, just to be around it, just to play a home playoff game, just to be playing games after Thanksgiving in December and January that matter, that's what makes all this fun. That's the entertainment aspect of it. That's why we care. And so that's all right there for the Buccaneers with a win over the Falcons on Sunday. We will talk about that game. We'll talk a little bit about the Lions game on the show today as well. Plenty to get to. But things are not all bad. And it may have seemed that way on Sunday. Just It wasn't a good spot for the Bucs. And, and we'll get to it in a minute. I'm not going to dwell on it a ton. I'm going to look ahead more than anything. But, you know, we can't act like the sky's falling every time they have a game like that. This offense is still... I hope they're evolving, not just physically and, and, and as far as their actual play, but I hope they're evolving philosophically. Uh, the run game continues not to be where it needs to be. It also continues to be something the Bucks want to lean on, and you can't lean on something that's not there. And so you get results like you had on Sunday. We'll get to it. But uh, just to set the stage, first of all, if you want to contact me, Always love hearing from you guys. The email address for me is bobbygameday at yahoo.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-G-A-M-E-D-A-Y. bobbygameday at yahoo.com. Same thing on Twitter. You can get me at Bobby game Day. Follow there or check in. You know, Message me, whatever you want to do. I'm always available. Now, before we get to looking ahead to the Atlantic, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Lions game again. I do this show later in the week, so I don't like to go back multiple days and, and do a whole thing. But... That was a bad game if you step back and look at the whole thing. 20-6, to six, and the two touchdowns, the 14 points felt like 140 points. It didn't feel like the Bucks had any chance of scoring. In fact, I think – I don't think that it was. The only two times they even crossed midfield were the two times they got the field goals. They continue not to produce in the red zone when they do get close and settle for field goals. Didn't run the ball effectively at all. Didn't get much done. Now, there was a few – listen – not to be a woulda shoulda guy, but they had a couple of home run balls that they missed. You know, one was an overthrow by Mayfield. A big play in the game was the Bucks' second drive where they had, and you, you go to joebucksfan.com, there's the picture from the all 22. You can see it very clearly. There's a little write up on it that the Joes did. But it was the play that ended up being the deflected pass that was intercepted by the Lions. And they took over possession, like, inside the 20-yard line. The defense stood up right then and there, didn't allow them anything. And they simply kicked a field goal for a 3-0 lead. At the time, it was like, okay, well, hey, you know, at least the defense stopped them. We'll get the ball back. No big deal. But Mike Evans was literally behind everybody on defense. He was wide open. It reminded me of uh, my high school football coach at Jesuit, Dom Saya, who's still the head coach at, at Berkeley Prep now. He's still coaching. But I remember our quarterback was George Godsey who went on to Georgia Tech and then spent a little time in the NFL. And he actually is an offensive coordinator, or was an offensive coordinator. I think he's an assistant coach. Now he's a quarterback's coach. But he's still in the NFL too. But anyway, George was like our all-everything quarterback, a total stud. But Coach Siau, I remember he'd miss an open receiver sometimes, and he'd stop the play and he'd go, George, there's three kinds of open. There's open, there's wide open, And there's wide effing open. That guy was wide effing open. Throw him the ball. I remember that to this day, even though it's been 25 years now since high school. But Mike Evans was wide effing open on that play for an 80-yard plus touchdown, wherever they were, wherever the line of scrimmage was. And they didn't deliver the ball in time. Mayfield got deflected. Guy got his hands up at the line of scrimmage. Leads to an interception. That's a 10-point swing right there. And then I missed another one later in the game, I think to Palmer, right? Uh, Over the top, where Mayfield just overthrew him a little bit. Mayfield didn't have his best day. I'm not going to crucify guys. Quarterbacks, there's different ways of making mistakes. There's the really bad mistakes, guys who are careless with the football, guys who don't read defenses, guys who make a really poor decision and throw a pick or or, or things like that, or or guys who miss what should be easy wide-open throws. Missing a downfield throw by, like, a little half-step you threw it too far. Obviously, when the Bucks miss those, it hurts even more because their offense isn't that high-powered, so you have to convert those chances when you have the chance. But that's also not like a terrible... I, I don't think Mayfield played as bad as some people are saying he played. And I trust him still. And He's still taking care of the ball. He's still not turning it over. And the Bucks' offensive philosophy is such this year that those are the main things. Now... Looking at the game overall and their complete inability to run the ball and their still concrete desire to do so, here, here's what I don't get. And I know that it's not 2020 and 2021 anymore. I get that. Where the Bucks scored 30-something points a game. In fact, the Bucs, went allowing 24 points or more, still had a winning record. Like Just ridiculous stats you could throw out from those two years the salad days now that they're in the rearview mirror where I remember even at the time talking to my friends, we'd be watching games and be like, dude, savor this. Like we've never had an offense like this before. And it's going to be a long time if ever that we have an offense like this again. And it's so much fun just having that kind of firepower at your disposal. It was awesome, right? Like it was, Hey, we're you miss a downfield throw. Oh, whatever. We'll just get another one in a couple of plays. We'll get there. Bucks are gonna score 31 plus points today. We all know it. Everybody knew it. And they did. And so that's all over now. And now we're back to, like I've said before on previous shows, trying to play 90s ball. Like I call, it. you know, like this is, you know, we're gonna win the game 20 to 13, 17, 10, you know, 23 to 16. That's where the Bucks want to live now. That's where they feel like they have the best chance of winning games. And yeah, they're not going to go out and play 38 34 games or 42 31 or stuff like that. They're not going to do that anymore. I get it. And this is not just the Bucks, by the way. Offense, I'll talk about this in a little bit, is way down across the NFL. Lots of things that yo-yoed one way before. Remember, you know, how all the rule changes of the past 20 years and they got to be offense 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 that pendulum's swinging back the other way in a big way now and again it's not just the buccaneers but points are down touchdowns are down passing touchdowns are down it's just a lot of lack of offense and it, i'm not a big fancy football guy but if you play fantasy sp- uh, football you've probably noticed this too like the just production overall offensively is down across the board across the league So, again, not just the Bucs. But with that said, you know, the Buccaneers have, I mean, it'd be one thing if they just weren't very good. They were trying to take the air out of the football and, and just hoping they could outlast more talented teams on guile and ball control and all the old name your cliche, you know. But it's not like that. They've got a decent, I mean, Baker Mayfield's a decent quarterback. They've got two top flight-wide receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and you can say, oh, well, they're not that deep at receiver. But just those two. Most teams don't have two guys like that, okay? And some teams don't even have one guy like that. So they've got the receiving talent. And even their, you know, their third and fourth guys aren't bad either. And nobody's third and fourth guys in the NFL are stars. They've got an offensive line. Say what you want about the run blocking the pass-blocking ability of this offensive line is not bad. It's not like Baker Mayfield. I mean, plus Baker Mayfield's got good legs, and he's able to create extra time in the pocket or outside the pocket with a little hip swivel here and a little sidestep there. He's good at that. This is a team that can throw the ball. If they, I just. I wish they would – I'm not saying I want them to go back to what they were in 2020 and 2021. I know they're not that team. But they don't have to be Trent Dilfer, Eric Tourette. Les Steckle, Mike Shula. It feels like Mike, Sh- it's not the same. I'm not ripping Dave Canales. The offense doesn't look anything like those offenses, but the production does, okay? And, and John Romano in the Tampa Bay Times wrote a good column about it. You know, for this team, like, did a full scale overhaul. They shipped out Byron Lefwich. They brought in Dave Canales. You know, obviously, brought in Baker Mayfield. Changed the way they were. Their offense doesn't look at all like it looked. And, and last year's offense was not good under the same people that it was good under in 2020 and 2021. But last year's was very bad, right? And they changed everything. And it it does look different. It looks very changed, right? But then you look at the stat sheet, you look at the production, you look at the numbers, and no, it doesn't look changed there. It's the same. In fact, I think it's almost exactly the same. Like they averaged 18 points, 18.4 points a game last year. I think it's 18.0 this year. Running can't do it. Can barely, I mean, just can't do it at all. Couldn't do it last year. Can't do it now. But again, it doesn't have to be, to me, I mean, like I always say, I'm not there in the practices. I'm not there in the team meetings. I'm not a football coach at that level. I've coached a little bit of high school football. And these guys have all forgotten more about football in the last 20 minutes than I'll ever know in my whole life. But it seems like if we got a little more aggressive, we could score a few more points and still have a good, they say we want to protect our defense. Our defense is what's going to win us games. We want to control the ball, keep them off the, you know, give them a chance to stay off the field for a little while, get a blow, field position, all that stuff. Now, all that stuff is great, but I'll tell you one thing that makes your defense comfortable is a couple touchdowns that your offense puts up there. That. that makes them feel real good. Instead of, hey, it's 6 6 right now, hey, it's 17 6. Our offense has 17 points. It's only in the third quarter or second quarter. That helps your defense too but when they're playing with their back to the wall game long and they can't make a mistake you know that's tough so i don't know why they can't just get a little more aggressive like we should be throwing downfield to mike evans uh, we should be taking one downfield shot to mike evans per quarter minimum that, a, a deep shot i'm talking about that's not even counting all the intermediate stuff that i've i've always said you know good offenses and the bucks offense has been one of these Good offenses hit those, you know, 10 to 15 to 20-yard routes. They're getting chunk plays, not necessarily home runs, uh, you know, bombs down the field every time. And they're constantly moving the sticks. And they're not trying to have third and manageable. And by the way, third and manageable, okay? Bucks on Sunday, 2 of 12 on third down, 16.7%. So don't give me, oh, we need to be better on third down. That's not, Hope is not a plan, okay? We need to have fewer third downs. And if you like I told you three weeks ago, or wherever it was when the Bucks offense looked a little bit better, and they were converting, like after Minnesota and even after the, after the Minnesota and Chicago games, what was their third down conversion? It was like 70-something. They were just converting a million third downs. And that's going to regress to the mean for anybody. Nobody converts that high. It's like a basketball shooter who's you know, 8 of 9 from the field. They're going to miss probably 4 of their next 5 at some point. And it's going to come back to earth. And so I just, I just wish they didn't make it so hard. I know it's not easy, but philosophically I think they really need to open their mind a little more about throwing the football running a little more tempo, getting beyond this. you know, At all costs, we just want to hang on to the ball and get as few yards as possible while still hanging on to the ball. That's what it feels like they want to do. We want to get only enough yards that we get to keep the football. I mean, nobody wants to punt, but they seem to like, what do we need? Okay, let's get just that and keep this game. We want a 15-play drive. Just get yards. Get points. Your defense will be fine. They will be fine. If anything, having a good defense like they do should give them the luxury of trying more on offense, not make them feel like they have to be more close to the vest. And like I continue to say, I, I, I had a couple listeners repeat it back to me in emails. So I'm glad you guys remember some of my catchphrases, but, you know, it, it wasn't a catchphrase so much as, you know, when you, when you say you want to run the ball and you're running the ball for 2.5 yards a clip, what are we doing here? What are we hanging our hat on? What are we leaning on? What are we trying to hang on to? Like you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it just to say you did it. Just to say that's that's who we are. That's our identity. We're gonna run the football, and then get your peanuts punted away. And yeah, the day, so that that line. The, the, the whole point of all I'm saying here. I'm not saying that the Bucks were one or two plays away from winning that game or anything like that. I'm saying. The Bucs can play. The Lions are a good team, and then I, you know, we'll see how for real they are, but they've got some legitimate wins. They're not just cruising on an easy schedule, and they may very well be there contending with the Eagles or the 49ers at the end of the season in the NFC. They very well may be, okay? But that's a team the Bucs can play with, absolutely. But you can't play with anybody, the Lions or anybody else. I don't care who it is. If you're running the ball that poorly and running the ball that much at the same time, because that, that that just leads to punts. And you ain't going to control the ball or control anything else doing that. Uh, I know there was an issue, and and here's what ha- I told you this last week. I wanted to go to that game. It was important to me because of the orange uniforms, especially with my son. I wanted him to see them in person. Now, I know with the new, you know, you're allowed to have an extra helmet, you know, color or whatever now, so that... They should be doing these once a year, I would think. I hope they make this a a once-a-year thing at least. But I did not go on Sunday. And the reason I didn't go on Sunday is because I didn't get a media pass. I didn't do anything like that. Like I always say, I mean, I'm just like you guys. I'm a fan. I've had a media pass before, but I didn't have one for this game or, or I don't have a season one for this year or anything like that. I buy my tickets just like anybody else, okay? And I don't have season tickets. I used to have season tickets for over 10 years, but now I just kind of buy individual games when I want to go. Tickets for this one were going for 250 minimum. Upper deck was 250 And I was thinking, geez, like that's it. I guess it's the orange uniform. It didn't occur to me what it could be besides the orange uniforms. I was thinking, okay, I guess this throwback thing, people are really fired up for that. And that was part of it. But what it turns out, I think it also was, was... This is a team against the t- a game against a team from up north in Detroit that has a lot of transplants here. Now, they haven't been very good most of the time the past couple, well, decades, I guess. So their presence here hasn't been as noticeable as when the Bucs used to play the Packers all the time here, or even when the Bears were good in the 80s and you'd see a million Bears fans. Or any of these teams from up north that have a lot of people that live here. And you'd see Lions fans, too. But I think Lions fans were the reason the price was so high. And you saw it if you were at the game. And it was disappointing for me not to go. But I, I saw I saw Jeff Darlington tweeted out after the game was over, like Jared Goff doing a victory lap around the field. And thousands of thousands of Lions fans in their Hawaiian blue all partying and going crazy. And Jared Goff saying, Can you believe this? This is awesome. What a great fan. And, you know that didn't look great. But hey, it's been a long time for them. They got a lot of pent-up uh, frustration, a lot of pent-up desire, a lot of pent-up excitement that hasn't been released in years. And they're starting to kind of feel it up there. So I get it. And there's a million people from Michigan that live here. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. And I mean, on one hand, you know, we just went through, and I'm not going to do a whole attendance thing. We already did enough of this with the Rays. I'm not going to talk about it a lot. But I heard some complaints this week from people that part of the reason that that happened and those seats that the Lions fans were in, and my good friend Tom Krasnicki talked about this on his show on 620 too, you know, those were Bucks season ticket holders that sold that those aren't just individual seats that lions fans happen to buy buck season ticket holders sold their tickets to those people and that's why i mean there's going to be a lot of lions fans somewhere but they were in spots where bucks season ticket holders usually are okay and a lot of people are oh hey how could you do that don't be a buck season ticket holder then turn around and sell your tickets to somebody from the other team somebody from up north and i'll tell you this i see both sides of this cuz on one hand i agree i, I you don't want to see somebody. First of all, don't buy season tickets if you're not going to go to the games. If, you're, if your whole point of this is some money-making scheme, there's other ways besides, oh, I'm going to flip my season tickets and just sell them all the time. What the hell is the point of that? And how much money are you really going to make? I mean, a few hundred. If you have enough money to be able to afford the amount that those season tickets cost, then you should have enough money in your life where making 300 bucks on something doesn't make you like, you know, doesn't it's not like a poor college kid finding a way to make 300 bucks selling their student tickets to a big game that's one thing but if you're rich enough where you've got seats on the 40 yard line 20 rows up then is it really that big of a deal to make 500 bucks like you probably make six figures or more and 500 bucks shouldn't really make or break you so I see that side of it and I I don't like that buck season ticket holders do that for me it's always been simple. Pay the money that the, the ticket costs, go to the game, watch the game, or if you can't go, I would always sell the tickets to people I knew, or even if I didn't know them. I, I just, I never felt right about selling tickets for more than I paid for them. I just, that, that's never sat well with me. I know the whole I, I'm not, you know, people are free to do whatever they want, but that's never sat well with me. Like, even when I've been in position to sell, and most of the time in my life, I've been the kid or the guy walking around outside the stadium with two fingers in the air looking to buy. And I still miss doing that. By I, I, I don't like how it's all online now and you got to give a f- cut of the feet to Ticketmaster and you can't negotiate. But anyway, the point is, in those rare times when I was selling tickets, I, almost, I don't think I ever once sold for more than I bought. I mean, that I just that's, didn't sit well with me. It's like, here's what the ticket costs. Okay, fine, here's what I pay for it. You pay me that. On one hand. Here's why I see the other side of it a little bit too, though. And I'm not a Bucs season ticket holder anymore. I have been, but one of the reasons I got out was because of stuff like this. The Tom Brady era is over. The Bucks had a very brief, unique opportunity there, and especially last season where they knew that was going to be Tom Brady. We all thought 2021 was it, but then when he came back, it's like, okay, 2022 is it. One last hurrah with Tom Brady. One last hurrah as us being that team. They had the extra seats in the end zone and everything. But what did they do to season ticket holders? Because they knew a lot of people probably wanted to go and say, hey, this is it. We got to go this year because Tom Brady's not going to be around much longer. The Bucs aren't going to be the team they are right now much longer. They said, okay, you want season tickets for 2022? You got to buy them for 2023. They made you buy two years back-to-back. Made you. I don't like doing stuff in advance, personally. And I certainly don't like... Being forced to overpay for things I know probably aren't worth as much as they're asking me to pay for them. so and, and listen, the bucks are running a business. they're trying to make money. They didn't break any laws or anything even if it doesn't sit well with me. they're allowed to do that. but don't you're gonna play games with people like I just want what nine home games okay, what tell me what the price is 50 dollars a game, okay, nine times fifty is 450. I give you four fifty dollars. you give me tickets to each of those games. that's that's in my mind that's how the transaction works. Don't start getting me on pricing plans and seat deposits and, oh, give me the money now. We'll give you back increment. Tell me what the game costs. Multiply by how many games there are. I'll pay it, okay? Or I won't, but I mean, that's the deal at least. You're going to start playing games. You're going to tell people to pay for two years because you know you're not going to be in demand next year, so let's make them buy it. I'm not going to crucify a season ticket holder in that case. For saying, okay, I didn't really want the second year. I only wanted the first year. I'll just sell my tickets next year and make my money back. Screw you. Fine. Hey, you know what? If the Bucs are going to play games with people, those people have the right to try and recoup their money too, and then you get results like you saw on Sunday. You get results like, what, 20,000 Lions fans were going nuts in your stadium while people like me and my son who are dyed-in-the-wool Bucks fans, sit at home because the prices are $250 in the secondary market. Then the next week, what do you get? What do you have for Atlanta this weekend? And I am going to go this weekend. Thousands of seats still available. Even the, sec- well, the face value ones, I think the cheapest is what, like $60, $70, bucks, which is absurd. But anyway, the point is, you don't even have to go that high because the secondary market ones, they're just trying to get something back. Those, are like, those have dipped below 40 which to me isn't even cheap. Like, that's annoying. To me, if you want to go to a game with your son or with a family of four people and you're going to pay for four tickets, you know, I don't want to pay more than $50 a ticket. That's 200 bucks. That's to me, that's a lot. And I'm not poor or anything, but I mean, like, Christ, like, the, the, the amount of money this stuff costs is ridiculous. It's okay when it's one person, I guess. But when you got a family of four and when you're going to pay $1,000 to go to a regular season football game, GTFO. So you don't have to do that this weekend. And then I'll, again, no media pass, no parking pass, none of that fancy stuff. I'll pay, like I always do, I love parking in the old neighborhood, the old West Tampa neighborhood there on the west side of Himes. Lincoln, Leroy, Glen, Avenue, Dewey, all those little streets in there. Braddock, there's, all, there's yard. The closer you get to Himes, you can pay 20 You get a little further, you can pay 10 I don't mind walking. I'll get a couple tickets and pay the parking and get some food. The whole thing will cost me less than 80 bucks. Or less than hundred bucks, probably, and that's fine. I'll be damn happy to be there on Sunday, but I'm not gonna pay five hundred bucks for me and my kid to go to a football game. I don't care. I don't, I don't care if they let me wear one of the orange uniforms, and we'll be back. They'll do that again. But the point is, it sucks. But I, I understand. Like I said, I wouldn't probably do it myself, but I'm not gonna fault a season ticket holder that got bullied into buying 2 years when they only maybe wanted to buy 1 selling tickets especially in that second year and these lions fans don't care they they only go to they're not buying season tickets they're buying one ticket they live here and you know they're still lions fans and that's fine too I don't even blame them baker mayfield said it he said hey I'd want to live here too I've always taken it as a compliment always you know you don't go up north and find a million people from tampa or miami living in Detroit or Chicago or Boston or Pittsburgh, those people move here. What does it say? People that have the choice of where they want to live choose here. As well they should. This is paradise. I love it here. I'm born and raised here, so maybe I'm a little biased. But I get it. And if I were, if it was the other way around, by the way, people say, oh, well, once you live here, you should root for the home team. No. I, if I, Let's say I moved to Detroit tomorrow for a job or whatever it was. You think I'd start rooting for the Lions? No, I'd be a Bucks fan forever. I'd go be uh, Every time the Bucks played in Detroit, I'd, my ass would be right there wearing all my Bucs stuff, just like they do here. I don't fault them. I fault the people that pick and choose depending on who's hotter. Like, there's people that, you know, now the Lions are good. Oh, I'm a Lions fan. I guarantee you some of those people have had Bucks jerseys on in other games in years past. Those people, I think, are pathetic. But a true hardcore person from Michigan that now lives in Tampa and goes and roots for the Lions, hey, that's totally fine. Go for it. I don't blame you one bit. And more power to them, and they're having a great year. So we'll see what happens against Atlanta this weekend. But this is the bigger game. You know, the ticket prices may not reflect it, but this one's the bigger game. The Bucks have a chance to really do some damage as far as what they can do in the NFC South. And I don't think, even though they're coming off of a bad loss, watching what you've seen the past few weeks, including last night, if you watch Thursday Night Football, you have to be pretty excited about the prospects of the Bucs in the NFC South. Carolina, they're pretty much out of it. Atlanta and New Orleans are the two main competitors. The Bucks already have a road win in New Orleans, and the Saints look really bad. Their offense, I actually was surprised they even came back and made it a game. But their offense, especially in the red zone, and Derek Carr has always been a week in the red zone, the Saints last night ran 12 plays inside the Jacksonville 10-yard line. They threw the ball on six of those 12 plays. Carr was 0 for 6 inside the 10-yard line on passes. The other six plays that were running plays, six carries, four yards. They got 10 total points on three trips inside the 10. On the final drive to tie the game, on fourth and goal, they didn't even bother to try and like get creative. They just Lobbed up a 50-50, I, I shouldn't even say 50-50, a 30-70 jump ball into the end zone on a fade, which the fade is one of the weakest, most pathetic mail in play calls you can make inside goal line on fourth or third. You want to run that on first or second when you know you've got a few other chances, fine, but you should never put your fate, your chances of the whole game on a fade ever. I, I, I couldn't believe they called that, but it just goes to show they've got nothing. Like The Saints have nothing, and things are bad there right now. So, as a Bucs fan, that's refreshing, right? And that's good. We're watching them. And they're, they're going to be, you know, it goes back and forth. They're going to probably win three in a row at some point, too. They, they're far from out of our hair. But, again, win against Atlanta Sunday. You're two games clear in the loss column. You've got head-to-head wins already over two of your opponents. You don't even play Carolina until December. You play them twice in December. Actually, after this Atlanta game, there's a long stretch of non-division games. With only, I think, one, you know, they sprinkle in the other game against New Orleans and Atlanta, but they get a lot of division games at the end. Like four of their final six, I believe, are against the NFC South. So if you can win this one Sunday, you're going to be sitting there at 2 0 in the division, and then you're not going to face any of these teams for a while. By the time they play Carolina, who knows? I mean, Carolina could just be completely in the jar. The Joes seem to think it's possible that their owner, David Tepper, uh, is he's known to be meddlesome, that he wants. Drake May from North Carolina, and he's already going to be looking to either uh, move Bryce Young or maybe he'll be benched or, by you know, just total tank mode. And the Panthers could have, you know, they got some draft capital built up. So anyway, I'm not worried about that right now. This Falcons game is a chance to get a big win, and you'd really, really have a good setup for yourself going forward if they are able to do that. Looking at the injury situation for the Bucs, and I am recording this show on Friday morning, so I don't have the Friday practice report yet. But yesterday, the Bucks are as healthy as you could want to be pretty much except for Vita Vea. He was limited Wednesday, then didn't practice yesterday. We'll see what he's out there with today. But it's a foot injury that he's listed as having, and obviously he's very important. That's a big loss if he can't play. But outside of him... They don't have any injury issues, and uh, the Lions aren't too terribly, or excuse me, the Falcons, I should say, aren't too terribly banged up either as we go into this football game. Sunday at 1 o'clock at Raymond James Stadium, we'll see if there's more offense. Uh, going back to what I said about the offenses, and not just the Bucks' offense, but all of the offenses league-wide, here are some numbers, and we'll try to figure out what's going on this year and what the causes for this are, but there's been a shift in the NFL, and if you remember back, it was 2010, that's when they changed some rules, that's when they started to really work on like hits on defenseless receivers, and, and they you know, kind of revamped how offense was played, guys were a lot less afraid to go over the middle, there were more 15-yard penalties for illegal hits when they did go over the middle, and there was a very sudden and noticeable shift in the offensive numbers around that time. But now, as I said earlier in the show, the pendulum is swinging back. 61.5% of all games through six weeks have gone under the total. So if you're a gambler, and trends can change, but that's been the trend this year, you're hitting over 60%. If you haven't even put any thought into anything and just bet unders on NFL games, you're doing pretty well. 43.4 total points per game combined this year. Last year, it was 433 Both of those are the lowest by far, by like a point and a half since the rule change in 2010. Let's talk about offensive touchdowns. Over 500, and these are all through six weeks, so we're comparing apples to apples. We're through six weeks right now. Over 500 through six weeks in 2020. Over 500 in 2021. 400 plus in 2022, 397 so far in 2023. Passing touchdowns, listen to these numbers. 2020, 318. 2021, 321 through six weeks. Last year, 257. 2023, 245. All right. There were 73 more passing touchdowns through six weeks in the NFL in 2020. And actually 76 more through 2021 than there have been right now. And you know what what are the causes? I mean, we can see that their offenses are down across the board. Why? It's hard to put assignment on any one specific thing, but. First of all, you could argue, or Dominique Foxworth, uh, he made this point. I saw it on Twitter. He was on Kevin Clark's podcast. He's really good, by the way. He's very very much worth listening to. On one hand, he said, you know, when they made these rule changes, was back when he still played, starting in 2010, and you had guys on the field on defense – who had grown up playing football and playing defense a certain way and that all got yanked out from under them and it was completely changed overnight. And They weren't used to playing football that way. They weren't used to having to cover guys a certain way. A lot of the physicality got taken out of it in a way that they weren't ready to adjust to because they'd never done it before. Now, 10 years, 12 years later, you're getting people on the field on defense who grew up playing football this way who are used to the idea of how the game is played now. And it is played much differently than it was in the early 2000s and even up to, like I said, those rule changes in 2010. And so part of it could be that guys are simply better at playing defense the way it is required to be played now, given the rules. And so the advantage for the offense isn't as pronounced. I think there could be definitely something to that. Penalties are another thing. If you look at penalty yardage, there are... Many more false starts being called on the offense and many fewer penalties being called on the defense up front in the past couple of seasons. And again, you always look for, is something the reason for something else is happening or is this thing happening because of the other? You're know, you looking for the signal and the noise. Some of it's statistical noise, some of it's signals. But offenses are getting called for more false starts. Defenses are getting called less for offsides. There's an advantage or defensive lines up front have gained an advantage on offensive lines. One thing I've noticed, and I was curious about this, so I wanted to find the numbers. This is um, courtesy of Warren Sharp on Twitter. I don't know if this is enough to say it's the whole reason, but it feels like they've been calling a lot more ineligible man downfield on offenses, which is annoying as all hell, by the way, because when it happens to you, it's so frustrating because – you know it had nothing to do with the play. It just feels so cheap. And even when it happens in your favor, you kind of feel like, eh. Like, it's just a bad penalty. I I think the NFL, you know, you want to have a good product. You want to have people who feel like they're watching something worth watching. I can say this. If I was filling out some sort of fan survey, stop emphasizing ineligible man downfield. Here's how many ineligible man downfield penalties there have been through the first six weeks by year, going back to 2017. In 2017, four. In 2018, four. In 2019, 19. In 2020, nine. In 2021, 19. In 2022, 39. Last year, it's actually down a little this year. In 2023, 24. But again, I'll say the numbers again. 2017 and 2018, four ineligible man down field penalties through six weeks. In 2022 and 2023, 39 and 24. And those can erase some big plays and some big gains, and they can kill drives. And I don't know if these numbers are enough. I mean, we're talking about, even though percentage-wise, it's like a 600% increase or a 500% increase, but still, raw numbers, you know, 20 more ineligible man downfield penalties. Is that enough to account for the difference in offense? At least a little bit, maybe, I guess. But, you know, an eligible man downfield is a penalty that was designed to make it fair to the defense so they know which guys they have to cover and which guys they don't have to cover. So if you're an eligible receiver, you can't just run out in the middle of the field and the defense thinks they have to cover you when really they don't. That's what an eligible downfield is supposed to be for. And it should be called in that spirit where if there's something egregious, if an offensive lineman runs way up the field to the second level to block a linebacker or something you know, on a passing play when they're clearly just out there in a place they shouldn't be, then you call it. But we're getting these little hair-trigger, ticky-tack, and the the buffer is one yard in the NFL. In college, it's three. So, like, if a lineman's blocking his guy, and he drives his guy downfield past a yard, and that's not supposed to be—the referees are supposed to have discretion there. But we're getting a lot—I've been watching several games where a big play happens— Flag down. Oh, what the hell happened? Looked okay to me. Ineligible man downfield, and they show the replay. You're like, dude, this had nothing to do with the play. Nobody on defense was full. Nobody on defense was out of position because they thought they had to cover this guy. Like, again, unless it's egregious, just in general, not just this play, but I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in simplicity and having as few rules as possible. This goes for any sport. And in fact, it goes for life as well. Like, I think there should be as few rules as possible. It makes things simple. You have to have the rules you need, but few rules as possible. The, the fewer plays that don't count. Like when I'm watching a play, I want it to count. So when you go back with the flag and say, oh, that whole thing you just saw didn't count. Again, you have to enforce the rules. You can't let teams gain an advantage by breaking rules. You still need penalties. But you have to – it's hard. I know it's hard. There has to be that balance struck between fair game play and not letting teams gain an advantage – while also just not having flags right and left, it just really sucks. It takes the rhythm and flow out of a game. It makes you feel like that whatever happens, anyway, you can't enjoy it in the moment because there's either going to be a flag or even if there's not, you're anticipating one and you, you wait to see if there was one. So, same thing with the tush push. That You know, Philadelphia's doing it and everybody's all up in arms. For, for, I have no idea why, but now they're talking about banning the tush push. Why? Why, why make another rule? Now here's a rule you can't... Here's the ball. You get the ball up the field. The defense tries to stop you. You want to have 10 guys push the ball carrier? Fine. Who cares? I mean, if it's a safety thing, I get it, but I don't think it's a safety thing. It's not hurting people. And other teams haven't done it nearly as well as the Eagles have. It's not worth getting into the weeds on and, oh, now we're going to make a rule. And then that rule could be applied to other things that aren't the tush-push, but now we're going to get things called up. Oh, this guy was on the goal line, and his lineman kind of nudged him forward. Well, you can't assist another player, so we have to throw a flat. God almighty, no. Just let it go. It's fine. It's not an issue in football at all. And I love the people that say, well, it doesn't look like a football play should. Uh, What's a football play supposed to look like? A football play is supposed to look like one team moving the ball one way and the other team trying to stop them. That's all a football play is supposed to look like. There are multiple ways to do it. Anyway. Same thing with baseball. I won't get into that, but the infield shift, that always bothered me. Not the shift, the people that want to ban the shift. Why? you got a pitcher and a catcher. They have to be where they have to be. The other seven guys, they can all go stand next to the left field foul pole, if you will. You put them wherever you want. Whatever. There's no set position. People think there's set positions. There aren't. As few rules as possible. So anyway, an eligible downfield is really annoying, and they need to stop emphasizing it. Not only, not only are they... Not de-emphasizing it, which I think they should de-emphasize it, but they are actually emphasizing it right now. I think it's hurting the game a little bit. Anyway, that's my two cents on the league. We'll figure it out. We'll worry about it later on if it continues to be a problem. But we are watching the numbers. Those are good numbers, courtesy of Warren Sharp. So, appreciate being able to get those out to you. As for this weekend, hey, here's your chance if you're someone that likes to go to games but doesn't like to just completely get... Raked over the coals. You can go, whether it's through the Bucks website itself, and don't buy for face value if you can get them for 30, 40 bucks, you know. But whatever you get them through, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's StubHub, whatever secondary market, or it, here's your chance to go. And I, I hope I'm wrong, but I suspect I'm not. It's probably not the last home game this will be the case for. Weather's getting to be nice now. One o'clock kickoff, and if the bite's taken off of it, it won't be too hot. Should be nice. Get out there and and go to Raymond James Stadium. I'll see you out there. Like I said, email me if you want to, bobbygameday at yahoo.com on Twitter. Follow me at bobbygameday. Thank you to the Joes for giving me this platform on joebucksfan.com, the single best place for Bucks coverage anywhere, TV, radio, internet. It's all covered right here, 24-7 and 365. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Bobby Fenton. That is the week seven free stretch. We will be back next week, hopefully, talking about a four and two football team leading the NFC South. But either way, enjoy the weekend, be safe, have fun, get together with friends and loved ones. And wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, good night, and go, Bucks.